If you're a new home builder and ever wonder if the grass is greener on the other side doing remodels, well, my friend, this is the episode for you. We are interviewing David Luberger of RemodelForce.com. David is an author. He wrote a book you may already be familiar with called Managing the Emotional Homeowner. In that book, he has a graphic, which in the last year we posted on our Instagram. Highly recommend you check that out. Um, it's the homeowner's emotional roller coaster graphic, and everybody should put it in their pre-construction packages that they give to their, uh, to their clients. Anyway, we talk about some of the differences between remodeling versus building and some of the differences in margin as David has seen them in his career. David on his website has a whole host of different programs, curricula and products that he offers. I do encourage you to check that out. Uh, that is at davidluberger.com or remodelforce.com. I believe they both point to the same content. Anyway, at that, we'll get this thing going. Thank you guys for listening. David, I want to start with a little context here. You primarily consult for remodelers, but whether somebody's a remodeler or a new home builder, we're all different breeds of the same animal, in my opinion. And I, I use the term builder as a catch-all, but in a conversation that you and I recently had, you had a very good point, which was you said that there were very different processes and procedures that are unique to the two especially between a new home builder and a remodeler who works on homes that people are actually living in. Yeah. My question for you is where do these diverge the most in terms of required skill sets? Great question. So if we look at the custom remodeling contractor and I've worked in this market from so a former building contractor myself worked in Arlington, Virginia, and in virtually 95% of the cases, my customers lived in the home during the project. And as any of your listeners know, we disrupt every routine in that household, every single one. So I became very focused on managing that experience because I know I'm going to disrupt every process in that house. You know, not only a married couple, there were often children and preparing people for that process because we are in their private space. We're working around them. And I worked with a psychiatrist once and he made an interesting comment that I've never forgotten. And the comment was, you know, you have a relationship with your clients that virtually no one else has. Meaning, he said, if you're in someone's home for six weeks or longer, only their family physician knows more about them than you do. You're almost extended family because you're in their space. So that's that customer modeling process, which is so focused from my perspective on that client experience. Now, if we compare that to custom building, 
So you're guiding the homeowner experience, but the difference is your customers are not living in that custom home during construction. So they could be coming over once a week, twice a week to review construction. You're working with them to guide them through the selection process. You're working with their budget. But the invasiveness is an entirely different experience because for the custom builder, where the client comes over to review progress, to review selections, to review change orders, you know, which happen on every job, it's not the, the same experience because the people are not living in the home. Is that pretty straightforward? Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad you illuminated that for us because, you know, for my experience, I primarily do new homes and I, I think that I don't fully appreciate some of the differences. Like I said, I, I lump into this catch-all term builders, which there's, you know, again, we're, we're different breeds of the same animal, but those, those breeds have some very inherent differences to them as you're pointing out right now. Well, it, it goes back to markup too, because, you know, a custom home, and I've worked with some architects, you know, the, the markup or the margins, and I know those are two terms that we haven't talked about, but the margins are lower in custom building because of that difference. And um, usually the margins are higher in the remodeling process because there is such a focus on that client experience. And guess what? It does slow down progress. You're working around people. You're working again in their living space. So the margins oftentimes are different due to the difference in the projects. Does that make sense? It does. I, and actually, now that you said that, I want to dig into that a little bit, David. So yeah. um, when you're saying margins are, obviously you're talking about gross margins, but then my follow-up question to that is, is it such that the additional uh, time, expense, labor, risk that goes into the uh, below the line type uh, items in remodeling, is it such that a lot of the extra gross margin gets uh, netted out such that you're at the end of the day, you're kind of netting the same, or do you see that truly you get higher net margin profitability on average in the remodeling space? I think you can, we come back to the efficiency of the contractor. Yeah. You can net higher margins on remodeling, but the difference is this, a custom home, the expense, you know, a half million dollars and I'm just making up a number is probably larger than most customer remodeling projects. So a remodeling project, 150, 200, 250. So the difference is if you did two half million dollar homes versus five $200,000 remodels, you're probably netting similar net profit, but it's only because the frequency of the projects. So we come back to scale and the margins on doing two projects that might be lower, but netting the same amount versus five remodeling projects just due to overhead and management. Is that pretty straightforward? Yeah. I'm glad we, I wasn't intending to go in that direction, but I'm glad that we went down that road because that's, that's um, interesting information that I've always wondered. Again, not having done a lot of remodeling, I don't have a ton of data points there. So thank you for that information. Well, and, and I work with people to create relationships with architects because that's really where the bigger projects can come from. You know, traditionally people go to an architect to create that dream home. 
So I will point out to contractors, you know, that I work with, that the margins may be lower. But again, you know, that comparison is you're doing two to three projects a year versus eight to 10. And you begin to see, you know, it could make things, you'll spend as much time on a $200,000 project as a 500000 all right, just because of the what's required. So the question then is, you know, what is your market? Who can you appeal to? And can you complement your business model with architect work, understanding that the margins will be different, but that the size of the jobs will also be different? Yeah, and that actually is something I talk a lot about to the, the builders that I know, which is guys who are especially a little bit earlier in their careers will, and, and it's understandable, will jump into projects that are a little bit smaller, uh, lower fees, and you know, you've got to cut your teeth somewhere. That's, that's fine. But it really takes about the same amount of work to build a, you know, a, a $2 million house as it does a, a $500,000 yeah. house. You still got you know, one kitchen to install for example, and the same amount of inspections that you've got to schedule and order through whatever permitting authority you've got and all that kind of stuff. So there really is a, a, a big uh, or, or a big shift in the economies. And I, so I, I always recommend to people to try to try to really be cognizant of what that is and, and where is your kind of your inflection point where it makes sense to do a project and it doesn't. And we've got that for our company. And there are a lot of um, opportunities we've turned down simply because we know that it just isn't going to make that much sense for us. Even if the margin, even if the margin on the contract is, is decent, um, it just may not be a high enough gross number to really make our, uh, our time worth it at the end of the day. And, and that just comes with experience, doesn't it? Yeah. When yeah. you start to really see, you know, where is the highest profitability? You know, where is our skill set? Where are these projects located? I was working in North Arlington, which, you know, just outside Washington, D.C., mostly D.C. workers. And because of the traffic around D.C., you don't want to move. Number one, the Arlington schools were good. Number two, uh, the commute was good. Fifteen minutes, you know, to downtown D.C. And the other, the last thing that made it so valuable was, you know, 20 square miles around D.C., everything's 40 years old or older. And so you begin to see the vitality of finding areas that will support that kind of work. Yeah. Well, back to your thing about you learn from experience. The funny thing for me is I think everything I've learned, all the important lessons I've learned is from royally screwing something up first. But I think that's the best, that's the best way to learn. But it's, uh, it's a business where it's easy to screw something up and, and learn something that gets branded into your mind for a very long time. And hopefully you don't do it a second time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this raises another question for me, and you may have already answered this, but of the most successful people that you know in this business, are they remodelers? Are they new home builders? Are they a combination of both? Do you have a strong opinion on that? Well, it, what I can see happen and a scene happen is, a person starts in customer modeling. They really refine their processes. So it's efficiently run. Their estimating is good. And so suddenly, you know, they're hitting good margins. You know, the company's profitable. And my experience is 
as you do projects, if you're good, the, the scale of the project can continue to grow. So if we come full circle back to architects, when I have that skill set, I can begin visiting architects. And that's how you can graduate to larger projects if you have the persistence and the background to show them that you have the ability to build the projects that they're creating. And, you know, they need good contractors. And as one of my business partners loves to say, he said, if you begin visiting architects to potentially, you know, create a relationship, they already have a girlfriend. It's not you. So basically over time, you know, how can you nurture a relationship because they need people, they need contractors who have the ability to, to build their projects and a contractor that they can trust. Yeah. So you can graduate you know, to that market, but it really takes a professional commitment to your numbers, to efficiently running projects, to managing that homeowner experience. Because if somebody's gonna refer a half million dollar house to me, they have to trust me, you know, just like they trust, just like any contractor has these key trade contractors who you know will do the job because they've demonstrated over time they're good at what they do. So good companies can grow to not only do customer modeling projects, but begin to work with architects, but they must be able to deliver. Yeah. This is a little bit of an aside, but you just made me think about this. So uh, Byron Brooks, who's a really good custom home builder up in Calgary, uh, was here visiting Austin a few weeks ago and he and I had lunch and we we're talking about a bunch of stuff. And, and one of the things he said, which I'd known, but it, it, uh, just refreshed my memory to maybe talk about this on one of our episodes. And so here we are now, um, it's the, the importance of, uh, establishing those architecture the I'm sorry, those architect relationships. And the reason why is because if you really look at your clients, there's, there's another way to view it, which is that, um, perhaps your, your most valuable clients are really the architects because they're the ones that are going to be coming back and giving you business time and time and time again, five times, 10 times, 20 times versus, you know, maybe, maybe at best you get, uh, one of your, what we call clients. So a homeowner, maybe at best you get, you know, a few projects from them over the entire course of, you know, your 20 or 30 year career. But with the architect, you can get multiple projects every year. So it's a really nice perspective to consider architects as perhaps one of your, your primary client bases. And that's what Byron does up there. And I know a few other people who do that. And, and I think it pays off very well in their businesses. Oh, you, you just nailed it, Jared, which is, you know, homeowner, you might do one project every five to seven years. If you develop a relationship with an architect, and let's say you do this with three or four architects, you've demonstrated that you can perform, a good architect will direct somewhere between a half a million to a million dollars worth of, year, of work a year to you. So if you really begin looking at scale, you really can begin to say, if I have two, three, four key relationships, they could be each referring to me up to a million dollars worth of work a year. And you're working on those larger projects. You've reached scale. That's how you hit the numbers as long as you are good at what you do. Yeah. And I, I know I'm repeating myself there, but 
you must be able to deliver and uh, you know have the people, the background, and the processes to do those projects. Yeah, yeah. I asked Byron how he makes sure that he's top of the list for his preferred architect relationships and stays up there. If he has any particular things he he does, and he says no, just you know, make sure that you treat them like people and and value their opinion and and build their plans to the the best of your ability, which is you know um, deceptively simple answer, but I think it's probably the best answer. I don't know. Do you have uh, you have any other ideas or strategies about how to continue to develop relationships and with architects and stay at the top of their list? Well, you know, I do. And, and part of this is developing that relationship. And I'll oftentimes with contractors, I'll ask them, how long did it take you to really develop the key relationships you have with your HVAC contractor, plumber, electrician, drywaller, roofer? And, you know, people will often tell me, you know, it could have been a year. It could have been a little longer because there was that dating period. They got a job. They got a second job, a third job. And my relationships with my trade contractors, I really liked these people. Once I got to know them, I knew they had my back. I had their back. So it was a relationship where we really liked each other. We liked working together. And developing these architect relationships is the same thing. It just takes some time. And my experience is most contractors give up too early. Two visits, three visits. And, you know, this is something that could take eight visits, 10 visits. It can take six months, eight months, nine months. But um, can I just give you a simple example? Of course. I've seen work, which is let's pretend, Jared, you know, you're a successful contractor and I'm an electrician. And I visit with you and say, Jared, you know, I'm good at what I do seen some of your work, you know, been on your website. I like what you're doing. If you'd need some help and you'd say, David, I've got a good electrician, worked with him for 10 years. And I'm going to say, terrific. You know, I understand loyalty. I'm glad that's working for you. But then two months later, you know, I'm going to follow up again and say, Jared, just touching base. You know, we talked a couple months ago and uh, just checking in. I know you've got a relationship, but if you needed any help, just want to let you know I'm here and you're going to say, fine. Uh, another two months goes by. I'm going to check in again. Now, on your side, if I do that two, three, four times in a professional way, there will probably come a time when your electrician could be stretched. And if I presented myself professionally, could there be a smaller project where you're going to say, you know, Dave, your timing is right. Could you end up giving me a small project just because I was there at the right time? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the beginning. So it could be they're not going to give the full house, but they've got a custom kitchen remodel. They've got a master bath. And because of your follow-up, because of your professionalism, because there's an opening, then the architect will say, do you want to come look at a set of plans? And you're going to end up doing, you know, an estimate. And you may end up doing two or three estimates. And that's kind of paying the dues with an architect. But the reality is you're building that relationship just as contractors build relationships with good subs. And trust me, once that relationship grows and they can see that professional follow-up, once you do one project, you demonstrate what you can do, more will follow and the scale of the projects will grow. It just takes time.
Okay. Great example. And you took the words out of my mouth, what I was going to say, which is that, you know, and just about everything that's worthwhile that you want, you got to pay your dues. And that's exactly what you said. So, um, makes sense. 